Hello, everyone. Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of The Schmooze, our podcast from the Jewish Graduate Organization, aka JGSI, the Jewish Graduate Student Initiative, where we interview top performing Jewish professionals in many different sectors, including nonprofit work, finance, entertainment, tech, and others. Um, we are broadcasting to our student and alumni network across the United States and Canada at more than 130 grad programs uh, throughout North America. And we are uh, really, really excited to have today uh, guest Marina Lewin. And Marina is the COO at the Jewish Communal Fund in New York, which is the largest Jewish donor advised fund uh, in existence, I believe. Is that right, Marina? That is correct. Okay, and previously, um, Marina was at the Foundation for Jewish Camp. Uh, after completing a more than 30-year career in the private sector in banking. So looking forward to talking with you, Marina, today about that transition and about what motivates you to do Jewish nonprofit work and support our community. So thank you very much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So Marina, why don't you get started by telling us a little bit about uh, your background, where did you grow up, you know, how you got to where you are today, and what, what your day is like on a, on a, on a regular basis. Terrific. So again, so glad to be here. I um, was originally from um, a small town in Connecticut called Easton, Connecticut, which is um, part of the Bridgeport area. Uh, my father, I'm the daughter of a physician who was based in both Bridgeport and Stratford. So I spent my growing up years in that small town of about 6,000. Um, and we were members of um, the B'nai Israel Synagogue in Bridgeport, um, that is part of the reform movement. And um, looking back on it, I was both a rebel and a joiner um, mm -hmm. at that time. I was very active in um, NIFTI, which I think it's the national, but I think it was called BIFTI for where the synagogue that I was part of. I was part of um, that, that organization and really found it to be a very big, meaningful part of my adolescence. I can relate being a being a youth movement participant myself, and I know that that has a big effect on people, and probably something that you thought about later when you started working for the Foundation for Jewish Camp. Absolutely. So I grew up there, one of four children. Uh, my father, as I said, was a physician, and. Um, went to college both in Colorado and in graduated from Barnard College in New York City, which had an, a tremendous impact on me. Um, both the level of education, the interaction with very talented women and the opportunity to live in New York City for the first time and take advantage of the multitude of opportunities to learn and grow in New York City and, and have fun as well. And when you were in college, what, what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? You know, my mother keeps reminding me that I was heartbroken when I didn't get the, the job I wanted in publishing. Hmm. Now, I must have blotted out that memory, but I was always very interested um, in political science, government, both um, government, um, U.S., U.S. presidency, which obviously is a very interesting topic that has always been an interesting topic, but even more so in this era that we all live in. And um, I also studied um, the Soviet Union, Soviet mm -hmm. Union at the time. So this was dating myself a little bit. Um, this was before the Berlin Wall fell. 
and um, had a real interest in um, the Soviet Union and um, the politics there and, and diplomacy and was weighing out various career options as I graduated from college and ultimately went towards the banking. I think it was a more practical decision than a passionate decision at that time. And so um, that was right out of college that you started banking? Yes, I started in banking right out of college. Pretty quickly realized that in order for me to advance in the way that was important to me to advance, that I needed a graduate degree. So about a year and a half in, I went to um, NYU um, Business School and got my MBA in finance from NYU. I started as an evening student um, and wrapped up um, full time. There was a little bit more flexibility at the time, I think, in the graduate school world than there is today. I did exactly the same thing in law school, started in the evening program. Yeah. Um, which I really enjoyed actually, and then switched to full-time to finish earlier and actually ended up taking most of my classes at night anyway, because I just like the schedule better. But um, I definitely relate to that. And, and NYU Stern, of course, is one of our big campuses. So shout out to the JSA over at NYU Stern. Yes, wonderful. Yes, and NYU, and I just was speaking to somebody from the Bronfman Center um, yesterday. So I think NYU has a great tradition of supporting um, Jewish students, um, in, in a multitude of, of um, a multitude of ways. They certainly do. We're, we're good friends and partners with the Bronfman Center. And um, I'll speak personally, both, both my parents went to NYU, my wife went to NYU, my older brother went to NYU, and my father-in-law went to NYU. So go figure. Um, and my father went to NYU, but he went to NYU in the Bronx when it was still in the Bronx. And I went to YU. But if I say NYU fast enough, you know, people, people might think, think that, it's YU. Absolutely. People think it's YU. Yeah. So absolutely. But uh, all, all roads lead back to Manhattan, I guess. I guess um, so. The New Yorker's view of the world. So banking, obviously, you know, is something if you made as a as a practical decision, it, it's it's a pretty immersive lifestyle, pretty immersive career choice and world. What was it like, kind of being thrown into that? And uh, what did you like about it? What did you dislike about it? And uh, and I guess how did it shape your career? So I went, I did it a little bit untraditionally. So I went into back office operations, right? And that is either on the asset liability side, on the trading side, we were the support organization for um, many of the programs. So it gave me a little bit more flexibility, which I needed at the time. My children, I came up through that program and my children grew up um, during that time. And I found a lot of really wonderful things about growing up in bank operations. Number one, very early on, they let you run a small operation. And to me, I think I had three people. I mean, it was, I think, time deposits for JP for Morgan Guarantee Trust at the time. And I found that I really felt a sense of ownership, even over my little deensy peensy piece of the pie of um, the, the really amazing organization that was Morgan Guarantee Trust and now JP Morgan, I, I felt ownership. And that was really important to me that feel, even if it was just my three, my team of three, and we were processing small amounts of um, small numbers of things. So my responsibilities grew and um, it, there was some predictability. I knew that on certain days in the month, I would just be late and I could coordinate that at home. And most mm -hmm. days I was able to have a fairly predictable lifestyle, didn't have to do much travel at the time. And as my kids grew and my career grew, it kind of came to um, 
real opportunities for me to kind of have it shoot up at the time when they were older and more um, independent. And that was that was beautiful. It was wonderful. When I, you know, at the a certain point, I um, had left J.P. Morgan had sold its custody businesses at the time to BNY Mellon. I left BNY Mellon, took another role for a couple of years, and then came back to BNY Mellon. And I saw all these people, and I couldn't remember which bank everybody started out at, but we were all together at BNY Mellon. And my responsibilities there grew, and they started a business servicing alternative assets. So from an operational perspective, serving alternative investments. It started with hedge funds, moved on to private equity. And it was totally, I mean, I was very passionate about building that business. I'm a, also a little bit of a competitive person. I don't know if that comes through in how I'm talking, but um, I like to, I like to win. I mean, I really love to, I love the game of competing for business. I was the front office for that particular business line, which was selling operational services hmm. and building that business and watching that business grow from next to nothing to where it was when I left it in 2015. So I think it was 200 billion in assets under wow. administration at the time from nothing. And it was, it was business growth. It was um, existing clients within the bank. It was just, and it was the right time. And being able to do research on and putting Bank of New York in the forefront of that business was one of the great times that I've had in my career. Is that is that period that ten year period where we were building that business? We've got a great story. First of all, I love your passion and enthusiasm that comes through for it because it's you know hard, especially in the corporate world and the finance world and the and the legal world, to really find people who are passionate about not just the people they work with or the company, but actually the work. And and that definitely comes across. And it seems like you've been very fortunate in that you've been able to set your own terms to make that happen. Um, and uh, I know a lot of young people are concerned, especially today, when people are used to maybe a little bit more flexibility working from home and, and in the post-COVID world, where uh, there's a lot of fear, I think, among young people that they aren't going to be able to set their own terms and, and that they feel a little bit powerless, whereas you felt empowered. What advice would you give them on how to really make make the most of their early career and develop the sense of enthusiasm and um, you know kind of just being immersed in it as you were and are uh, at the same time you know reassuring them that you know they, they still can have a life they still can have a family and they, they still can be a real person and not just uh, a cog in a machine right I think I think there's two things to note there first of all, I wouldn't say that every year was a was a love fest, right? There were good years, there were tougher years, there were roles that I had over a long career, some of which I did for the money and some of which I did for the passion. And I was fortunate that my last 10 years there was truly building a business and it was great. So I also recognize it, recognize that careers are just not linear. And I think that's one thing to tell young people is that they're just not linear and you know you can have different events in your life that make sure that, that you could slow the pace down or you could use certain roles to give you better skills and um and things things 
can move in a pace that's not even. I mean, mine was not linear. I mean, there were fits and starts along the way. It ended up really in, a, in an amazing way. But along the journey, there was some good years and some tougher years. And I think that people have to recognize that. And I do think that at the time, we didn't know the words work-life balance. That just was not even in the vocabulary. And I think it's great that people that are coming up now are asking those questions because we didn't, right? I was able to, with the roles that I had, have a little bit, be a little bit more planful in that way. But I think that the concept that this generation, I think it's the millennials and the Gen Z, and sometimes they get a tough rap for it, is that they know what they want and they know that their life and their mental health and their family health are all very important. And they're asking and questioning in ways that at the time I was coming up through the business, we didn't even think of. So right. And and uh and kind of to to uh to add to that, it was a different time when you didn't take your work home with you and where there were kind of uh, understood boundaries on communication. Whereas today that you know not necessarily and firms are having a tough time trying to trying to sort of um retrofit the current office structure, which is everywhere, you know, all encompassing in your pocket at all times, and how to uh, how to how to set boundaries and um, and allow people to actually turn work off once in a while. So it's another just um, almost adaptive challenge that I think this um, this up and coming generation has, and maybe previous generations didn't. So they didn't have to talk about work life balance because they just they had it. Um, and you, and I do think that. There's a there's a there's a push and a pull to it, right? Having your office be wherever you are offers you some benefits as well as finding the boundaries for that for that flexibility and that the realities of having your office in your pocket. They 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 um they're a little bit in conflict and finding the right balance between those I think is 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 a, an important key in career development. Absolutely. Um, on that note, I, I understand that you have um, um, you're trained from Harvard Business School in women in leadership, uh, in particular. And one of the programs that we run here at Jago is the Jewish Executive Women's Leadership Program. So shout out to Jewel. Um, and we are passionate as an organization about um, really providing that sort of affinity for young Jewish women who are entering their careers and probably struggling with many of the same questions related to the balance of career and family. Um, I'm sure that they would love to hear your insights and advice on that um, that we can pass along. Yeah, I think I think I think a couple of things. Number one, it's very important to know yourself, right? I mean, I think there's some things you have control over and there's some things that you don't have control over. And I always found that I needed to know what was important to me and what values that I had. And that would help guide me in what I was doing. So that could be the loveliest people along the way and the most difficult people along the way. I had to know my own values so I could fight for myself. I And it's not, it wasn't always an offensive fight. It was always a making sure I had myself in mind and how I could contribute, right? And finding that balance of, Believing in yourself, knowing your skills, knowing your worth, um, and creating those boundaries is not an easy thing to do. 
and it comes with age and wisdom and many many of your course and the coursework that 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 there's great advantage to having um that I didn't have that those opportunities except rel relatively later in my career so it's really knowing your own your own worth your own values and making sure where you can and sometimes in life there are compromise involved I get that but putting yourself in a situation where you're living your values through your work right and and I think it's having that confidence and giving young women that confidence to make those decisions I think is really key to to bringing along the next level of executive leaders and in some ways they have it easier than 20 or 20 or 30 years ago and in some ways they may have it much 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 harder and competition is so intense right now um this all the things that you're talking about in terms of work-life balance all of those things are on some levels more talked about now and um normalized in some ways but it makes the conflict i think it keeps it there but i think having giving young women the confidence to believe in themselves to believe it in what it is they contribute is a key component great advice i really appreciate it and um we'd love to have you as a speaker on jewel too so we'll let you know when the time comes. Right, that in, sounds in, great i would look late, forward to that in, in late spring next year it'll be wonderful um so marina just um your your career path, of course, really successful in the private sector, and then you made a big switch. So yes. tell us about about what prompted that. Um, you must have been looking for some kind of change, or maybe it found you. I certainly can relate to that, having been an attorney in, in private practice in the beginning of my career, and then I'm shifting to the nonprofit world as well. For me, that was um, that was a passion project that I'd always had. And the right opportunity came along at the right time because they don't really grow on trees. But um, I'd love to hear from your perspective how you got into that and what motivated you to uh, to make that change. Well, sometimes the change does find you, right? At um, you know, it was it was time to to leave the bank, and so I took a year. I called it my gap year, and I think a lot of other people call it a gap year too. It was between you know, and then taking that year to figure out what I wanted next. And as I was talking to financial firms, you know, both in the um, banking world, the alternatives world, I realized that my heart was just not in it anymore. Like I, I, you can tell, like when you're talking to people and saying, okay, what do I want to do next? I mean, you look at the people across the table, you'd say, this isn't it. And so I really thought about wanting to give back. And there were two realms that I had this opportunity that in my mind, I wanted to pursue. I you know, the Jewish world is someplace I always felt very comfortable in through the temple youth group to um, affinity groups on Wall Street to being on the board of my synagogue when my kids were younger. It was always a world and a milieu that I was very comfortable in and believed in. And of, and of course, you know, bringing along young women and um, young women and young girls um, was also a, an interest of mine. And so I did so for that year, I did not being able to sit still. I did some volunteer work for the synagogue, helping set up their financial system, hmm. um, which really also gave me non-financial accounting. I mean, non-profit accounting skills that have been invaluable um, and doing some getting on some boards really positioned me to 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 make that transition. And um, 
the opportunity came to me through one of the people whose boards I went on saying, hey, there's this role at the chief, as chief operating officer of the Foundation for Jewish Camp that we think you'd be perfect for. I'm giving your name to the, the, the recruiter. And so I, I was a little bit of a risky choice for that CEO. And I'm very, very grateful to him. And for five and a half years, we had this amazing partnership where we saw the organization um, through a big cycle of grants um, and um, COVID in the Jewish camping world, which was not an easy time. And all. it was a fantastic, the translatable skills uh, that I had between the finance world and the world at the Foundation for Jewish Camp was enormous. I wrote RFPs as a banker. You do grant proposals. There are a lot, some differences, but you know, there's a lot parallel. I had to run a financial organization, had done that a little bit different. I think the biggest change for me was culturally, the cadence of the not-for-profit world is very different than um, the for-profit world. And I did that for five and three quarters years. And then this opportunity to meld my financial background and Jewish nonprofit world in this donor advised fund, the Jewish communal fund was just such an amazing opportunity to be able to be running something similar to an asset management firm, a donor advised fund, managing um, an operation of that's considers heavy contributions, grant making and managing an investment, the back office for an investment portfolio, as well as really facilitating folks. Philanthropy was a dream and were very few organizations that I would have left the Foundation for Jewish Camp for. And this was just so, such a great opportunity to meld both of my halves into one role that was just fantastic. Great. I want to I want to get back to talking about the Jewish Communal Fund and and really explaining to our listeners what a Jewish Communal Fund does. We have one that uh, that you know we're really close with here, the Jewish Community Foundation of Los Angeles, of course, and um, you know similar work. It it is a really cool and unique model that I think our listeners will appreciate. But I'd like to go back first to you know what you said about working for the Foundation of Jewish Camp and um, how you were able to parlay so many of those skills. So do you think that it was that that attracted you to making the career switch as opposed to just being a board member yourself and maybe, you know, doing something either in the for-profit world or maybe, you know, taking a break and, and just, you know, being a lay leader? What about nonprofit management itself? You know, just switching industries, really, but continuing to work probably just as hard, if not harder than you did before. What was appealing about that? Like, there must have been some kind of passion that really pushed you toward that. Right. I think... I, look, I went to camp as a as a young woman, and I loved camp. And it was it was not a Jewish not for profit camp, but it was a Jewish camp, right? Mm -hmm. There's you know there's that I went to a YMCA camp that was heavily women from my community um, in Connecticut, and um, as I learned more about the Foundation for Jewish Camp, I'm thinking to myself for my own kids, I should have done that. You know, it's it's camp is such a great thing for young people in terms of independence, um, working with in the peer or your peer organizations, um, building independence, leadership, community building, um, living independently. I've probably said these the same thing three times, but it's it's such a great and I have found it a very in, influential part of my own life growing up, um, that sense of independence and. 
I really connected with the mission of the Foundation for Jewish Camp is to facilitate um, attendance at Jewish Camp and giving the kids that went to Jewish Camp the best possible experience possible, as well as those that worked there, the best professional development that we could offer. So really combined, it was really, it really resonated with me. Um, like I didn't overtly say, oh, I want to go into the Jewish camp world, right? I, mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't know all the secret handshakes of Jewish camp that are, I've mm -hmm. since learned are there, but the, the, the combination of Judaism and youth and um, the independence of camp really resonated with me. And they have been around for, I think, 26 years now at this point and it was really an opportunity to help take that organization to the next level i did bring some financial expertise i did build um, bring institutional relationship management which you're managing large granting organizations is very similar to institutional management and once i figured out the cadence of the place which was a little a little less intense a little bit um a little bit um, more humanistically focused than I would say finance was. It was it was it was just fabulous, it, and COVID hit, and that I think was very difficult for everybody. Right, especially with a, with a foundation supporting live programs, you know, in person programs primarily. Yeah, and camps had to close. I mean, and helping them build. You know, part of camping is fixed cost. You still have to pay the rent. You still have to pay the mortgage. And you're getting no revenue at that time. So how did we help camps financially make it? How did we tell that story to the grant maker so that camps could live to see another day? And between what the philanthropic world did for camps, as well as the U.S. government through their the PPP program and the ERC program, really allowed camps to 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 live another day and to thrive, um, hopefully for the future. So it sounds like they hired you just at the right time, basically. <laughs> with, yeah, it was a couple of years that. beforehand. And, you know, I was really, I, I loved my work there. It was, it was impactful. Like every day you could see the direct correlation between what you're doing and the impact that it had on um, organizations and people. Now let's talk about uh, what, what a donor advised fund is and what, how the Jewish Communal Fund operates. And, and um, again, a really great opportunity that you've had to be able to really have a finance position within the Jewish world. Yes. So the thank you. So the do, donor advice fund is is a charity in and of itself that enables fund holders or donors to contribute money into the into this fund, create a, a so they make a donation, a contribution into the donor advice fund. Those funds are invested. Um, for the duration, and then they make grants at a time and to organizations that um, meet their objectives. So donor advised funds are fantastic for, for individuals or um, foundations that A, want to not have the full um, administrative burden of running a foundation. Um, two is to have another avenue of, of philanthropy that they can give to the donor advice fund and kind of think about where they want to donate going forward. And, you know, particularly for those that have a big financial event, they've sold their company or, you know, they've retired and they don't immediately, they know they want to do philanthropy, but they don't want to give every dime away that first year. So they put money into a donor advice fund 
and um, those monies get invested by the DAF, that's Jewish Communal Fund, and um, the, the fund holder makes recommendations of how they want to grant that money. And so we, of course, do our due diligence, make sure that they're all legitimate charities and that that all the rules are being followed because again, it's 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 we're in partnership with our with our donors, with our fund holders to make sure that their philanthropy is going um, to organizations that are that meet the rules of being a 501c3 mm -hmm. organization. Um, what's amazing about it is that it is very Jewish, right? We give to every type of organization, hospitals, universities, our, um, our fund holders or everybody from your next door neighbor to those that have accumulated great wealth and want to, um, to do good for the world. So it is, it is such a great combination of using all my financial skills um, helping to modernize the technology, the financial technology of an organization that's been here 50 years. It was founded in 1972. Um, and support Jewish causes. We are, we are um, very closely aligned with the UJA Federation of New York, um, as well as other federations that we're in collaboration with. Um, but mostly, you know, we're a New York-based organization, similar to L the LA Community Foundation is Los Angeles-based, although our donors are a little bit more international or and national. But um, I think their, their origins were more tied to the New York City area, to the New York regional area. Okay. But it's investment management. It is investment operations. It is managing people. It's managing our financials. It's, it's, and doing philanthropy and doing it in a Jewish organ, Jewish focused organization. That's a great summary. And again, I, I think it's such a cool concept um, that a lot of people are, are unfamiliar with. They might be familiar with with uh, funds that will manage charitable contributions, you know, like a Fidelity or a JP Morgan, but not necessarily with a Jewish communal institution doing the same thing. And um, really, really exciting work um, that's going on there. I think especially um, in teaching charity, you know, the mitzvah of tzedakah to young people, as we do in our fellowship and other programs, um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of young people don't know where to start in terms of charity and philanthropy. How do you think that a, an organization like the Jewish Communal Fund could, um, could help young people learn how to give and, um, and, de and develop their own philanthropic objectives even before they have accumulated a lot of wealth? Right. I think, look, I think we allow, we have, we allow smaller funds, right? I think our minimum is um, 5,000. It's, it's not, it's not significant. I mean, that's a significant amount for somebody that's just starting out their career, but overall um, it is a relatively um, small amount and learning how, you know, how um, charitable organizations work. We do not advise on where people give their money because we have a very we have a very wide tent of the type of people that are our fund holders across the Jewish and the non-Jewish world and they give charitably across the Jewish and the non-Jewish world but it is through a lens of an organization called the Jewish Communal Fund so there's something very very Jewish about it and it allows young people to start small and see how it all works and and um 
and to focus on what they're passionate about, right? It's, it's, you know, a lot of the funds go to Jewish organizations, but a lot don't, right? The colleges, universities, hospitals, um, organizations that, that um, are meaningful to each individual. And we help them at whatever level that they are to facilitate that philanthropy. What are some of the concerns you have about Jewish philanthropy in particular, um, and particularly among the younger generation? I think I think a couple of things, and and um, I think that giving Jewishly at that generation is thought of very differently than in mine or our parents' generation. Right? It was you give all of your philanthropy Jewishly was was the mantra I would say one or two generations earlier, and young people right now think much more broadly, you know, whether they are progressive causes or traditional causes, whatever the the, the tent that anybody is part of, is that um, making sure that a significant part of philanthropy continues to go to the Jewish world is, um, is something that I think is continued work in progress for, for all of us in, in the organizations that we work for. And I think discussions about the role of philanthropy in Israel, I think is a, an intense conversation in some, in some quarters and not in others, right? So there's a broad tent there as well, is to make sure that we continue to talk about Israel um, in a way that is um, comfortable for all types of, all, all types of donors and an important part of being Jewish. Um, so I think that those are two, you know, the generational change and thinking more broadly philanthropically, which is a really good thing for the world we live in and creates more work for Jewish charitable organizations, right? The, the synagogues, the, the JCCs, all of those that this generation has a different view towards. We talked about that earlier, you know, that their, their worldview has evolved and we have to meet them where they are. Yes. And the way I, I always... You know, tell our students is that it's our responsibility to support everyone, but we can only rely on our community to support our community. And so right. we've got to, we've got to be very, able to very both. important that if, if it is our responsibility to continue to support our, our Jewish community in a way of whatever part of it that you are connected to, um, that, that 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 is our responsibility, and um, I think as generational change is ongoing, is that it's a very important component part to um, to our work. And with Jewish Communal Fund, is it is interesting in that we compete with big private financial institutions. So we are a nonprofit that is competing with some of the biggest for-profit institutions around. And that creates both an opportunity and a challenge for us because, um, you know, obviously we don't have the resources that um, a big mutual fund company um, would have. And um, we need to meet our, our client service requirements and make sure that they're, that they, not only feel that they're giving philanthropically, and if it's, that's important to them to feel like they're giving Jewishly, irrespective of which organization they're giving to. That sounds like really, really fascinating work. And I know you've touched on it throughout our talk today, but um, we always ask our, our guests 
a question that everyone answers differently, and you're probably expecting it, but the question is, what does being Jewish mean to you? How has that been a part of your life? Obviously, it's a big part of your life right now in your career. Uh, but what what are the what are the um, the personal values that you hold that you feel are rooted in Judaism, and how has being Jewish affected your your life and identity? Well, I think that being Jewish um, was always a part of my life growing up. My mother is is a Holocaust survivor; she's still alive. So having that, um, and my my father was is from the U.S. It was from the U.S. He's since passed away. My mother is still alive, um, and. So that was always, you know, in a that being Jewish was always a marker for our gener for my generation growing up. And um the center of our community was our Jewish community, my parents, you know, the center of our our community, whether it was overt or um secular or religious, was was that Jewish connection. And I've always found community through Jewish, a Jewish lens, the Jewish lens and the Jewish values of, you know, of giving and giving back to the world, I think has been very, um, very important. And just always feeling part of that community. Like if I could be in the strangest place in the world and I could go find that Jewish community and always feel, feel at home. Very, very special. Well, thank you for your contributions to the Jewish community, of course. And now you're able to do that in a professional setting which is a, a real blessing. And we've reached our rapid fire round. So we're going to have one to two word answers um, of, uh, of whatever comes to mind first, I guess. But, you know, I think it's probably things you've thought about before. Why don't we start with what is your TV series that you are currently watching now? You know, I'm sitting I'm sitting out right now. I am reading. I've decided reading. that I've watched enough series, both great and and not great over the last of the pandemic, and that I am trying to read a book every single week. So I'm trying wow. very hard to to do that. I have found Ann Patchett. I have found women authors, and and um, just a, a fascinating place to spend my time. I'm about you know I am partial to shows like The Crown and mm -hmm. and you know the Love mystery the series, right? That have been my favorite. And recently watched Tiny Beautiful Things, which was a great little show on hulu that was funny and um and sad all at once so then next question would be book that's had the biggest impact on your life oh gosh depends which part of my life of my recent life i um read um station 11 and i loved station 11 and all the all the books by that author you know, when I was an adolescent dreaming of moving to Israel, you know, books like Exodus were a very important part of my, you know, part of my life at that time. And books like um, young women's books, you know, Little Women and all of that as I was growing up. But recently I've rediscovered um, women authors and just getting that milieu and really enjoyed what I'm um, reading at this at, at this point. Awesome. Favorite musical artist? Um, the Rolling Stones. Most frequented app on your phone. Um, I just recently became a grandmother and my grandson parent parents are living in Singapore right now. Oh, wow. So I'm looking at WhatsApp. He sends videos huh. just about every day and pictures every day. And well, I'm looking should, regularly you, WhatsApp. You should have a lot of nachas, as they say. Um, and uh, what was your favorite vacation? Um, it was right before the pandemic. My husband and I went to Patagonia, went to wow. South America. 
So I went to Patagonia. It was the most beautiful place I've ever been to. Morning routine? Up and out really fast. I'm not a morning person at all. I do not luxuriate in the morning. I get up at the last possible moment and hop out the door. What time is that usually? I try to leave the house by about eight o'clock. Okay. And then off to work we go. Off to work we go. I take the bus, the slower pace. No subway, no more subways for me. <laughs> and a favorite Jewish holiday? My favorite Jewish holiday is um, Passover. Favorite Jewish food? I don't know if you call it food, Jewish food or not, but I love blintzes. I, you oh, know, that's Jewish. Great, 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 great. My grandmother's made that and it was that's definitely That's definitely Jewish food. And finally, last question, one word you associate with being Jewish? Community. Beautiful. Thank you very much, Marina, for joining us today. Thank you to all our listeners out there and the entire JGO JGSI family. Everyone should have a wonderful day and inspiring high holidays. Thank you, everyone. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you.